Welcome, everybody, to Love a Compact Live for Wednesday, April 14th. I am Adam Hernandez. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Nicholas Bergfeld. And to, we also have a guest with us today. Uh, Mr. Adam Pertle is going to talk to us about some bills that are going through the Texas legislature right now. These are very important bills to watch, and he'll have a lot more information on that as we uh, get into the show a little bit later with him. And so to kick things off on the Love of Compact side today, we are talking about charter reform. It's all about the Charter Review Committee public hearing happening tomorrow at Citizens Tower at 5.30 p.m. This will also be broadcast on Zoom. You can watch our Facebook page, Love a Compact, and we will be posting uh, the Zoom. We'll be sharing that uh, so everybody can follow along. You can actually speak a public comment in person at Citizens Tower, or you can also speak your public comment on Zoom. I'm still encouraging people to email your, your public comments to citizencomments at mylubbock.us and uh, they will get those to the committee. If you want, just for some extra insurance, you can cc comms at lubbockcompact.com. That's my email as the communications chair on the board of Lubbock Compact. And if you cc me on those, I can definitely make sure that they get uh, printed and sent over to the committee members so they see them either way it goes. The, uh, the chair of the committee uh, did say that he wants to hear from citizens often and he wants to hear from as many citizens as possible. So we're holding him to that. So again, if you want to email your comments in just for some extra insurance, CDC comms, C-O-M-M-S at lovebookcompact.com and we will make sure that those get to them. Otherwise, please come out and uh, either stand in solidarity with us or make a public comment if you can. The big thing that is critical right now that we are advocating for is for a living wage for city council members moving forward. This would not affect any sitting council members currently. So if the pay gets adjusted through the uh, city charter process, which is the only way you can do it, then it would start in the next election cycle. And so why we are advocating for a living wage for those positions is number one, they're a full-time job. And I'm not sure anybody can come up with an argument to say why somebody would work a full-time job and you would question if they deserve a full-time salary. I don't think anybody out there watching right now would do that. I definitely would not do that. It's just not practical in real life. We can't pay the bills with heart and, um, you know, <laughs> just our good thoughts, you know, and that's just the reality of the situation. And so what that has done so far is created an environment where you have to be either independently wealthy or you have to be retired in order to hold those positions. Because again, these are full-time positions with full-time obligations and they're not paid a living wage at all. $25 a month for city council, $75 a month for the mayor. So if those positions were paid a living wage, it is our belief with a lot of evidence to, to uh, indicate that it may be the, the case. If we pay those a living wage, then that would uh, make it possible for a larger pool of people to be eligible to run for those offices and for it to make sense in their life. Because we can, again, we can have a heart to serve and we can want to do good all we want. But if we're not able to fund our life and pay the bills and keep the lights on and feed our families. It's not going to work out. And so if we pay those a living wage, people from the working class background, middle class background can hold those positions. And we all know that the perspectives amongst working class and middle class people is a lot of times very different from the perspective of people who have grown up in wealth and around those areas and, and kind of stay in a bubble. So it would provide the opportunity to have those different perspectives of people who maybe understand life a little more from your perspective as well. If you look at the average age of the citizens of Lubbock, Texas, it's 29.9, so 30 years old. We don't have one person that's even around age 30 to represent the majority of the citizens on the city council. So that right there shows an inefficiency in the way our government is operating. So again, we are advocating for a living wage for that reason. 65% of the people that we polled 
from all over Lubbock, all six districts approved of a living wage and they approved of a wage of $60,000 per year. This would be $420,000 per year on the annual budget, which is a very, very small percentage of the budget. And it would even be less of a percentage as over time taxes increase as they will inevitably. So it's not cost prohibitive. There's really not any good arguments against it. And we're just really trying to express how important this is at this critical time because we won't really have this opportunity for a really long time if we don't take it now. And so that's my spiel on that. Please consider coming out. Citizens Tower, 5.30 p.m. tomorrow or watch it on the Zoom. And so with that, we'll get into the news updates by Dr. Nicholas Bergfeld. Yeah, and uh, to start on the top, you know, we really appreciate uh, everyone's feedback and uh, please continue to keep us in the loop about uh, important events and activities that we should be informing uh, Lubbock citizens about and, and to make sure that passionate people um, aren't able or aren't prevented from being able to uh, participate in advocacy and activism because they just simply don't know. And that's oftentimes one of the issues that we run across is just lack of knowledge um, and making sure that we get out the word. And so please continue uh, to provide us with updates and uh, of news um, events and things like that that you think we should know about. Uh, this week was very, very filled uh, with a lot of important activities and events. So we, we can't really get to all of them. And so we just kind of curated down to uh, ones that we think are very reflective of the work that we've been advocating on and, and trying to move these conversations forward. Uh, the first is around a parks master plan. Uh, this is very important because in Lubbock, we haven't created one of these documents and, and master planning documents are very important uh, because they set the agenda for how the city is going to spend dollars for usually for a very long time. Um, so in the land use plan, for example, we don't update that except for every 30 to 40 years. And, and they have very, very uh, powerful influences on how our city develops and grows. Now, the last parks master plan that was created in the city of Lubbock uh, was over 10 years ago. And not only that, but one of the challenges with that document uh, is the fact that many of its recommendations were actually never taken up by the city council at that time. And so part of our advocacy uh, led by Joshua Shankles, uh, the Garden City uh, Initiatives Coordinator for the Lubbock Compact, has really been not only just simply focusing on making sure green space best practices are what we now pursue as a community, but that also we, we are mindful of the fact that we've created plans like this in the past and we haven't had the buy-in uh, from city leadership to be able to make sure that financing actually came about to make sure that those plans are realized. I will say that this time around, uh, everyone who's been involved in this conversation is very optimistic uh, that we do have a city council who's very responsive uh, to green space issues and, and the disparities that we have within our community and a desire to increase those. And so at today's city council or at Tuesday's city council meeting, uh, there was the kickoff for the new parks, recreation and open spaces master plan. This will be about a 13 month process. Um, and th th that's a good thing that it's so long. We hired very good consultants who have done work across the United States on parks and master plans. And so, you know, we're in good hands when it comes to uh, the individuals that are going to work with us as a community uh, to create these recommendations. And uh, this organization, uh, they're very conversant in the value of green space. So th this isn't some uh, kind of small scale consulting firm, bottom of the barrel. Uh, we have a history of that in Lubbock. Fortunately, this council hasn't, hasn't been going in that direction. Uh, so this, this is not just simply a check the boxes consulting group. This is uh, individuals that are passionate and care uh, and they've promised that they will have opportunities for community engagement and feedback at every stage of this process. And so during their presentation uh, on Tuesday, the things that they said, just a couple key issues that they talked about, and these aren't all of them, but some of the key issues that they said they intend to address in their document and in their research and work with us as Lubbock citizens, um, they want to look at park distribution in our community. And specifically, they want to do what's called a gap analysis. So they want to look at our community and they want to ask the question specifically, can you walk to a park from your house? And they want to see what areas of the city of Lubbock can you not do that? And, and in the green space community, uh, there's good understandings of how far 
It's about two blocks. How far uh, people are willing to walk for a park and also how far a distance away a park can be from you and still improve the quality of your life. And so there's great information um, about this topic. So we're, we're not doing these things in a vacuum. Uh, there's good understandings of the needs uh, of communities and, and of residences uh, and how much park space they need. And so one of the things that they'll be doing right out the gate uh, is creating an inventory of our parks and showing throughout our community, where are we failing on this issue? And we already know from historically that we are failing on this topic. And in fact, one of the big failings of uh, previous city council has been the fact that even though our parks plans historically have recommended increasing the number of neighborhood parks significantly in our community. So neighborhood parks, those are the ones that are like inside of it, right? So these are small, they can be the size, you know, in other communities, they can be the size of a single uh, parcel. Uh, if you think of the South Overton neighborhood, they have a little gazebo there. Uh, that would be a, a neighborhood park amenity. Uh, and so they've really um, emphasized that aspect that they wanna make sure that we're doing these things in such a way where it's to the benefit of all of Lubbock citizens. Um, one of the other key issues they want to address is equity, just as I mentioned. So they're very explicit in the things that they want to address here. They want to find ways for greater connectivity of green space throughout the city. So how do you connect uh, parks together? How do you create park trails? Things like that. Uh, and one of the other core aspects is around the Canyon Lakes. And this is also a topic that the city council has been willing to get behind and has even gone out and, and to say that one of their goals as a council is to begin the process of connecting all of the canyon lakes uh, through a bicycle and jogging trail system that would allow for you very safely, that's one of our big issues right now is car safety and, and uh, injuries from people trying to cross our major streets, which allow, would allow you to connect all these parks together. Um, so really just you know, great um, uh, exciting developed around the Parks Master Plan. We will continue to be involved in that uh, if green space is something that you're passionate about, please reach out to the Lubbock Compact and uh, we can find ways for you to be able to uh, engage with many of the community gardens that are popping up uh, throughout the city of Lubbock. Or if you wanted to start your own, um, you know, we, there are people that we have here who can have the conversation with you. Um, staying on the park theme. Uh, and so this is uh, the second part of parks. Uh, the city is, is trying to create a downtown park. Uh, and uh, they had a process where many people were able to give input on this. Uh, there was over a thousand survey respondents to their internet survey on the park. Uh, but what's nice about this is again, on parks, it really seems like the city council wants our input and wants community input and engagement in these. And so uh, the city's uh, business development director is actually still taking phone calls from citizens who wanna talk about what they'd like to see in the downtown park. And so, uh, their number, they provided this at the city council meeting for folks to still reach out, uh, is 806-775-3082. So if you have an interest in the downtown park and, and didn't have a chance to fill out their surveys, but you want to give input, uh, they're still welcoming that. In terms of the survey results, a bit interesting. Uh, one aspect that actually links back to the topic we talked about last week, one of the most commonly um, uh, words used by respondents in the survey uh, was homeless, actually. And I think it just goes to show you the challenges that we have in downtown, as well as the perception that many of our citizens have around our population that's currently experiencing homelessness. And so even in these, these sort of documents, you can actually see the social challenges in our community come out in those. And so uh, what they said in terms of the survey respondents, um, the biggest things that they wanted are priorities, lots of year-round activities, um, so lots of events, sponsored events, things like that in the park. Um, they want it to be accessible and engaging for all. So intergenerational, so activities for kids and, and our elderly uh, senior citizens. Uh, they want it to be um, aesthetically pleasing, so just nice to look at. And uh, they want there to be shade and comfort. Um, and then on most important features, I thought this was interesting, uh, the clear number one winner, and it wasn't even close, like 150 respondents was less, was the second place restrooms. Um, so I, I think everyone can agree uh, that that's a pretty nice amenity to be able to have in a place. Um, and then the second one being uh, the shade structures. Um, and so, you know, these, these are really exciting, you know, things that we just uh, were optimistic about. And, and we really love to provide that type of news to show you that things are changing in the city. 
um, and that there's ways for you to engage in, in, in topics that are broadly appealing, right? that uh, many citizens in the city of Lubbock would want to see and have develop in their community. Uh, and then the last quick update that we have is on dirt streets. Uh, and so dirt streets, uh, this is a topic that uh, the Lubbock Compact has been fighting uh, since the summer protest movement. And, you know, one of these, you know, it's one of these core issues of disparity uh, within our community. Uh, and, you know, Adam, you've been advocating a lot on, on dirt streets over this time. And so, you know, how do you feel about the, there's finally developments that are happening now? You know, one of the first victories the compact had uh, was doubling the dirt street paving budget. And I, I'm curious how you feel about, you know, it took about a, it took about a year, right? Um, since when this journey started, but the city is about to put down somewhere between eight to nine million dollars uh, for paving these dirt streets. You know, curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. I was um, I've been pleasantly surprised on that and, and that it actually came out of left field for me. I wasn't really expecting it. I was on the uh, of course, we knew about the them doubling the budget, which was a small win last year. Um, and so we were definitely happy about that. But of course, we knew that that wasn't anywhere near what was needed. Um, and so I was actually on a meeting with the Future Needs Committee, which uh, Sheila Patterson Harris is on um, and several other council members. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now of who all it was on there. I know uh, Christian was on there. Um, Joy, um, there were several of them on there. Anyway, I was on that meeting just kind of watching what was going on and then when that popped up i actually i actually had a pretty big smile on my face you know that uh that came out of left field and it was a very nice surprise and so i'm i'm definitely glad that that's happening i like the fact that they they made sure to look at streets where people are living currently and where there's actually businesses and i know that in especially in east lubbock there's been people living on these dirt roads for my entire life. I'm 40 years old and for my entire life, they've been living on these dirt roads. And so I, I think that that's going to be a very welcome surprise for them as well when they start seeing pavers and things going down there. So yeah, great, great feeling right now on that. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and we're, it's exciting to see this development and it was very exciting to see the rhetoric from the city council members on this topic. Um, even ones that, don't necessarily always support development in the northern and eastern sides of our city, um, said that this is, and, and I believe this too, this is still one of our greatest historical shames. Over two-thirds of these dirt roads uh, are in the District 1 and 2, and specifically in the most northern and eastern portions, have the highest concentration of those. And something that we point out, there is not supposed to be a single dirt street in the city when it when it comes to appropriate zoning for residential neighborhoods, things like that. Those are those are not supposed to be here. Um, and so, you know, this is exciting to us. Uh, really, you know, want to just sort of thank the council for for moving on this topic. And it's truly from the advocacy of, of Adam and, and everyone in the compact who's come together uh, to really, really shine a spotlight on this disparity and, and make sure that it wasn't lost. Uh, in the conversations with, with the city. And so uh, it's exciting to see this um, and, and really a great development. Uh, the last uh, sort of news update actually came from this morning uh, where the first coffee with the mayor meeting uh, happened in over, I mean, gosh, you know, there hasn't been an in-person one of these in, in, a, in quite some time. Uh, Adam, you might recall, actually, you were at the last uh, coffee with the mayor meeting, which was, was something of a viral moment. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting just to kind of see how all these things have changed, you know, in, in, in the path of that since that point in time. Um, you know, so this was not nearly as uh, contentious as um, the last copy with the mayor meeting um, and a series of, of citizen questions. Uh, I, I was there in attendance. Joshua Shankles uh, was also there in attendance. And we were able to, to ask a couple of questions related to uh, green space um, and making sure that the council understood uh, you know, just sort of where the community is on that topic. And, and again, we're really elevating and pushing this topic in, in a way that that's, uh, we have found that the citizens as well as the city council is very receptive to. Um, and then there was a brief conversation about charter reform. And so one individual uh, at the meeting pointedly asked the mayor uh, how he felt about a living wage and how he felt about uh, extending the mayor's term from two years to four years. And so 
That issue is controversial because it, it would cause the 1983 court order um, to be in play again if that were to occur. And, you know, Adam, curious to get your responses to this. Uh, so on living wage, he said that he didn't believe the majority of citizens of Lubbock supported the idea, and that's why he couldn't support it. And then on extending the mayor's term from two to four years, uh, said that he wanted to see the mayor's term extended to four years. Yeah, well, um, I guess initial reaction, I'll start with the second one first, because that's that's an easy one. So if he really wants to push that issue, which would actually open up the door for the at-large member issue, but if he or anybody else on the council wanted to do that, what would have to happen is they would have to be prepared to challenge that 1983 Jones versus the city of Lubbock court ruling. So unless the city or the taxpayers, actually, this is a question for you all who are listening, because taxpayers are the ones who have to take this on. So do you want to pay for the city council to try to enact voter suppression, basically? <laughs> So I don't think anybody would say yes to that. Um, there may be some that do support that, but for the most part, everybody we've talked to does not support that at all. So good luck to him if that's what he wants to do. But uh, if they take that route, as I stated in my public comment at the last charter review uh, meeting, uh, I did state if that was the intention of the committee, if that was the intention of the Lubbock Chamber of Commerce or the city council to challenge that ruling, that Lubbock Compact and, and anybody that we can round up will fight them at every step of that process to make sure that that doesn't happen. So that's that. Um, as far as him saying that he doesn't think that the citizens would support it, I'd be curious to find out which citizens he's uh, speaking to, because if I just had to guess, uh, make an educated guess, I would just guess that Mayor Dan Pope isn't around a lot of working class or middle class folks in his life. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, I would assume that a lot of the people that we've heard that from are in a higher socioeconomic status where it necessarily it doesn't it wouldn't really matter to them either way. So if you look at Mayor Down Pope, if if somebody said we're going to pay you $60,000 to be the mayor, that's like a, a minuscule amount in comparison to what his businesses earn. So um you know, they, they don't really have a dog in the fight on that on that side. Um, and then we just have not heard a lot of people, in fact, overwhelming amount of people out of the many hundreds, probably coming up on a thousand now that I've spoken to in person, either on Zoom or at community events or different places, have pretty much all overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly been for a living wage. And then when we talk about the 60,000, they don't think that's a lot at all. So. That's my response. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's it for the news. Again, please continue to message us and, and give us uh, updates and insights on what's going around the city. And, and we're happy to talk about that and, and discuss it on here. Yeah, definitely. And so just a quick reminder, we are about to bring our guests on after uh, a quick message. But while we're getting them ready to come on, please remember if you have questions about anything that uh, Adam is about to speak about, as you're listening, you can put those in the comments on the Facebook, or you can actually, if you're on the Zoom, you can put them in the Q&A, or you can actually call in and speak it on the Zoom if you would like to speak it, and uh, we can answer your question that way. So if you are enjoying listening to the show and you want to support what we're doing, then please consider donating to the Lubbock Compact. Each and every dollar you give goes, goes right back into producing this show. We don't get paid at all, of course. We do this because we care about the mission and want to make Lubbock a better place. So please go to lubbockcompact.com slash donate and make a donation. We have several preset options to choose from, uh, custom recurring amounts for your convenience, if that's something you want to do. But every little bit helps, uh, helps us keep the lights on, keep the show running. And that's lubbockcompact.com slash donate. LubbockCompact.com slash donate one more time. And of course, thank you always for your support. So we'll go ahead and get into our conversation with Mr. Adam Portal. So Adam is a lawyer and a community advocate working to address economic, racial, and political disparities here in Lubbock. So Adam, welcome. Oh, thanks a lot. LubbockCompact.com slash donate. Is that what I need to go to after this? That's, that's where you go. I, I'm, I'll be heading right there. I actually already texted you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. I just really have a lot of respect for what y'all have been doing over the last year. I 
watched that first coffee with the mayor and I was, it was the Natalie Ayers now, Natalie Miller, Adam Hernandez, one, two punch. That was something to see. I'm going to post the link to that just because it is, it's so great. It's, it's something everybody should see. Yeah. I'm, uh, I definitely won't be watching it, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me, uh, before I begin to, I, I need to make a disclaimer. Um, in my day job, I'm a legal aid attorney, but what I'm about to say does not in any way reflect the views or opinions of my firm. Uh, I'm speaking completely in my own personal capacity and any slides or anything I show that was prepared during my own time. So disclaimer over, sorry, you had to put up with that, but yeah, no problem. Make sure. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you're a lawyer and you decided to pursue a life of advocacy and civil rights. What influenced you to, to choose that journey? I, when I was a, I've always been involved in politics, uh, would volunteer at a very young age, um, working in, for, in democratic politics. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the, one of the Democrats key constituencies are, you know, are, are low income folks, um, African-American Hispanic folks. And so I'd knock doors in those neighborhoods and, uh, you know, I, I would, I went in as just some young white guy, but you have conversations at the doors and you learn what, what people are facing, what people's priorities are. Um, and, you know, at first I was kind of just like taken aback by the cynicism of, about voting and the fact that a lot of people didn't think that voting would get anything done. And, you know, I came to realize that the reason that people are so cynical is because the government hasn't worked for them in a very, you know, ever in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, th there's so many things that the government has done to set up roadblocks for folks, especially people of color. Um, and the more I learned about that, the more I just thought that I should try and do something. Um, so I went to law school um, with that kind of organizing background. I worked in a, a campaign during law school. I came back to work for Wendy Davis. And then I worked for the Iowa Democratic Party in 2016. And so uh, I just kind of wanted to find a way to uh, use my legal acumen that I learned in law school to give people more knowledge and insight, because once people have those tools, they're able to use them to fix the problems that they feel. Um, you know, Adam, you talk about your personal story about going, to seeing that disparity report and um, re just seeing your the, your life flash before your eyes, you say, and realizing that, oh, this is why this is this way. This is why this is this way. And so when people get information like that, it's incredibly powerful. And so I just want to be in some small way, a conduit for that. Yeah. And, uh, and I know you had a hand in some of the disparity report. And so great work to everybody that put that together. It definitely kickstarted some things uh, from my life. My life is completely different uh, than it was last June. Um, and so it, it has been quite the ride. So as we know, uh, well, not everybody may know, but voter suppression tactics seem to have changed over time. So in Lubbock, we just, uh, we just had kind of a quiet effort that we call uh, voter suppression, which is the attempt to add at-large council positions. Of course, that didn't happen. But uh, how does the so what's going on with the Texas uh, legislature? I know you have a slideshow to talk about Senate Bill 7 and House Bill 6, right? I do. If y'all don't mind looking at a PowerPoint, I can share some slides. I know that that might be a cardinal sin, but I'm going to no, do it anyway. Yeah, no. yeah go ahead yeah. and pull it up. And then while he's pulling that up, everybody, just a quick reminder, if you have questions on anything that you're seeing, uh, as he's going through this, please put those in the Facebook comments. You can log into the Zoom and speak them or put them in the Q&A. And so take it away, Mr. Adam. I'll also post all these slides. I have a link to a Google slideshow and I'll put them in the chat here after I'm done with the presentation. So folks want to look at these slides again. to get. Yeah, if you want to go ahead and put it in there, um, uh, Eric, Eric can get that out to the comments as well. And, and so everybody that. can see that, yeah. Hmm. And while, while you're grabbing the link, really, really happy that Adam mentioned um, your involvement in the disparity report. And so for, for those that don't know, um, all of the detailed information of the history of racism in Lubbock uh, was contributed to by Adam Pertle. And so he was a very, very important author 
um, you know, in this document and providing that important context of the history of racist zoning and land use policies in our city uh, that led to a lot of the problems that we have today. So, Well, thanks for those kind words, Nick. I, I appreciate that. Um, of course, I had a lot of help and um, there were some great uh, Texas Tech reports actually that helped me do that research as well and a lot of research at Southwest Collections. But let me, uh, you know, I just let to just kind of start about what's going on in the Texas legislature right now. I mean, folks have probably been following this saga in Georgia, um, looking at how the state of Georgia is trying, it just passed a very horrible voter suppression bill to um, really just stop what uh, Stacey Abrams and others had done, you know, years of organizing to uh, really change that state and make people's voices heard who hasn't, haven't ever been heard um, loud and clear. And so Georgia, I mean, essentially what they're doing is trying to cheat and keep pe knock people back down. Um, and so Texas is kind of getting in on that as well. Um, and there are two bills right now to look out for, Senate Bill 7 and HB 6. Um, that's uh, House Bill number 6. And I'll just kind of run down what they do. Um, one of the first things that they've done is they've made it illegal for public officials to send out mail ballot applications to those who don't request one. So in a lot of big counties, maybe even in Lubbock County, I don't know, the registrar or an, a county official or a, a city official will send out an application, usually to old people, um, people over 65 saying, hey, you know, this is something we do in Texas. Do you want to vote by mail? If so, send this back and we'll send you a ballot. Or uh, And I, I don't know anything wrong with that. My grandparents used to get that reminder every year and send it back. But there's just, you know, there's they're trying to create a lot of suspicion around mail ballots. Um, going into this next one, mail ballots will be counted separately and reported separately. So on election night, you would see a separate number for mail-in ballots. Again, I think that's to draw suspicion to these. Um, this one's really bad. Allows partisan watchers to use recording devices in polling places. Um, so folks will be able to go in and record. Um, ostensibly, that's so they can send recordings to the Secretary of State, uh, instances of fraud. Um, and they prohibit publishing, but there are no penalties for publishing in the law. Um, it targets urban counties and people of color um, by creating separate rules for the allocation of polling places for counties over 1 million. So that's Harris County, Dallas County, um, counties that have large um, Black and Hispanic populations, um, what they're doing is they're based, they're basing the percentage of eligible votes uh, in, in the um, eligible votes that are in state rep districts. So they're going to, uh, districts that have more eligible votes are going to get more, more polling places. And this will probably disproportionately impact um, Black and Brown districts. It's also targeting folks with disabilities and limited English proficiency by allowing watchers to actually record a person, assist another person fill out a ballot so they can get right up next to that person and record that. That's probably going to impact folks that aren't, don't speak English and can't read the ballot and need assistance filling it out or folks with a disability who might need help filling out the ballot. Um, during the pandemic, folks uh, in Harris County came up with a lot of creative ways to um, turn out the vote. They had uh, voting by car and 24-hour voting um, for people who were shift workers who have to work during, you know, the day or something. This was great because you could go after your shift to vote. Um, this bill will outlaw that. Um, it's also going to increase a lot of the penalties that uh, were once just misdemeanors um, to uh, felonies. So you could face jail time. Um, and, in, and it grossly just empowers these watchers. Um, they can only be kicked out of polling places if their behavior constitutes voter fraud. So you're gonna be able to get a, a, away with a lot of bad behavior before uh, an election official will be able to remove you. There's right now a little bit of difference between SB7 and HB6, um, but let me see if I can go to the next slide. 
Um, and also there's uh, differences to where they are in the process. Senate Bill 7's already passed the Senate. Um, it passed uh, late two o'clock in the morning around April 1st. Um, and HB6 has already been reported favorably out of the House Election Committee. Um, there's a committee substitute, uh, which means that the bill has been rewritten as it was originally drafted. Um, but that draft hasn't been released yet, as far as I can tell. Um, so HB6 will need to be voted on two more times by the full House to pass the House. Um, and it needs to be scheduled for a vote by the Calendars Committee. The Calendars Committee is the committee that schedules um, when the full House will vote on a bill. And Rep. Dustin Burroughs, one of your representatives, is the chair of the Calendars Committee. So he's going to be um, have the power to schedule that. Um, now, assuming that all House Democrats vote against the bill, right now you'd only need eight Republicans to vote against the bill to stop this from happening in the House. Um, and that's probably going to be your best shot at doing that. I just really want to show you all something real quick for to folks that don't know. Um, you can track where this bill and other bills are going if you go to the Texas legislature online site. And I'm going to click on it and see if it comes up. So this is the Texas Legislature Online site, um, capital.texas.gov. And you can type in bills here and actually see where they are in the process. You can read the text of the bill. You can look at actions. You can look at bill stages um, of the amendments. Uh, so this one has already been engrossed and passed and referred to the Secretary of State. So it is ready to go on to the House and meet, uh, go through the next stage of the process. If you click on the text, you can read the engrossed version. So this is what is passed out of the House. If you've never read one of these bills before, um, the underlining is new language that's added and they will cross out language that they're taking away. So that's how you uh, basically read a bill. Um, let's go to the next slide. So there was a lot of contentious debate in the Senate when they passed this. Um, Boris Miles, who's a senator from Houston, you know, stated that this was a case of pure, uh, a pure case of suppression. And he said, there are some things in here that, that are really offensive. This hurts me to the core. Um, and Dan Patrick, who is the Lieutenant Governor, after, um, all of the, uh, members of color in the Senate said that this was, you know, a, a racist bill came out and said, you know, I'm not racist. This is not uh, voter suppression. This is about securing the vote. Um, but you if we, we're going to look for in a little bit, just like at the history of voter suppression in this in this country. And a lot of it is just purely based on race. Um, but first, I just want to kind of tell you about how you might how you might want to get involved on this issue. As I said before, Representative Burroughs is um, on the chair of the calendars committee, so he'll have the power to determine when this bill goes to vote in the House. Um, here are his numbers, and I'll post those. There, Those are in the Google slides, so if you want to call, you can. You can call his local office. You can go in. He's also a co-author of this bill, so he's very likely going to vote for it. Um, so take that in mind when you call him. Um, and then Representative John Frulo, he's not a co-author. He's thought of as a moderate, um, and this is his information. So you might want to give him a call as well. And then Senator Charles Perry, um, it's already gone through the Senate, but you might as well just tell him what you think about it. Um, this is uh, Representative Burroughs District. So he controls a lot of the counties to the south of Lubbock and then a lot of southwest Lubbock and then a little slice that goes up into Tech Terrace. Um, and then this is Representative Frulo's district. So he control, he uh, represents a lot of the inside of the loop, um, except for this little slice of um, Tech Terrace, Wheelock um, that um, Representative Burroughs represents. And so like, like I said earlier, like it, there's just like a history of, uh, the history of voting rights and suppression has just been a long battle played out on racial lines. 
I mean, you can look right back down to the 15th Amendment, like how it was passed. Um, you know, the the 13th, the right to vote has always been when we've done civil rights laws in this country, it's always been the last um, uh, kind of right to be given because the, 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 the forces of reaction and oppression realize that that's probably the most important right that we have. Um, so you had the 13th Amendment following the Civil War that ended slavery. You had the 14th Amendment, which guaranteed citizen, citizenship and equal protection. You'd think that would have been enough to um, force uh, Southern states to provide the right to vote, but it wasn't. So Congress had to pass the 15th Amendment right to vote. Um, but that, you know, oftentimes didn't stop um, white leaders in these Southern states from trying to deny the right to vote. At this time, you had the rise of the KKK um, and the KKK and white mobs would actually show up at polling places to try and prevent black people from voting. Um, and, so the the government actually the federal government actually had to pass a series of enforcement acts to um, uh, enforce the Fifteenth Amendment and ensure folks had the right to vote. They also sent down federal troops to the South and divided the South up into several military districts. Um, so th and that actually worked um, during the Reconstruction. You saw black office holders get elected all over the country. In Texas, we had 49 black office, office holders elected in Texas, um, including Senators Matt Gaines, George Ruby, and Representative Richard Allen. So folks served in the legislature in the late 60s, uh, in the late 1860s and early 70s, passing things like free college. Um, they started the land-grant program that the University of Texas operates under to this day. So pretty progressive legislation was passed by them. But um, Reconstruction ended um, after, the, after the Compromise of 1877, after a contested presidential election. Um, Rutherford B. Hayes, who is a Republican candidate, um, agreed to pull federal troops out of the South if um, he could be de uh, declared the president. And so once the federal troops left, uh, the forces of reaction, racist white uh, redeemers took over the uh, government again uh, and started, you know, Jim Crow laws and voter suppression laws. Um, you saw the rise of things like literacy tests where um, and grandfather clauses where like if a grandfather clause was we would waive the literacy test if your grandfather could vote. Um, before the Civil War. So if you think about that, that would only apply to white people. Um, so, or they would enact poll taxes and things like that. Um, and so there was just massive voter suppression um, from the end of Reconstruction until 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was passed. And again, just like before during, Reconstru or during Reconstruction, the voting, voting rights were the last right to be given um, LBJ and Congress passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964, but the Southern uh, the Southerners were successful in watering down the voting rights provision. So it took another act to do it. Um, I just want to talk about Voting Rights Act real quick. Section two of the act prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race, color, or membership in a language minority. And then section four and five police jurisdictions that had enacted voting law, uh, discriminatory voting laws in the past. So section four actually created this coverage formula that said, if you were a state that had discriminatory laws on the books, you're going to have to come get permission from the Justice Department or from the DC District Court before you change your laws. Um, and uh, that was undone in a case in 2013 called Shelby County versus Holder, um, Justice Roberts of the Supreme Court and four other conservative justices thought that it was the coverage formula was unconstitutional because it was based on old data. And so um, the Voting Rights Act, section four of that was essentially just gutted. Um, and it led to, as soon as the section four went away, that's when you saw states pass voter ID laws that's when you saw states take away um, uh, poll, polling places in African-American and Hispanic districts. Um, you saw purges of voter rolls throughout the South. 
So, you know, don't tell me that the Voting Rights Act wasn't doing a good job because as soon as it's taken away, you see all these discriminatory suppressive laws come back into place. Section two is still in effect. Um, there was a case in Pasadena, Texas in 2017, and it might uh, make y'all have some deja vu. Uh, that was another at-large district oh, wow. case. Um, yeah, so it was eight, the, the, what the white majority tried to do is turn an eight single member district city council structure into six single member districts and two at large. And so uh, Maldef brought this lawsuit saying that the, that the city was trying to suppress the Hispanic vote and the district court agreed. Um, so uh, just some commentary on what's going on right now in Lubbock. And I just want to kind of recommend some really cool uh, other links to learn more about this history. This PBS reconstruction documentary by Henry Louis Gates is so good. Like I, I learned so much from that. Um, and, and then following like Fannie Lou Hammer, who's one of my heroes, she was um, uh, she's a member of the or was a member of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party who spoke at the 1964 convention to just talk about how hard it was to vote in Mississippi. And LBJ was so afraid of the just frankly of her and her testimony that he cut in. He pretended that he had an important announcement. And he cut into her speech. Um, and then just in, more information about Freedom Summer, which was an influence, a uh, bunch of activists trying to get the right to vote in Mississippi, and then more information about Black Texas legislators. So thanks for bearing with me on that PowerPoint, but some important information that's coming up in the Senate and uh, just really shows how all of this voter suppression stuff nothing's really changed. I mean, we talk about the playbook's the same, you know, and the objective is the same. As soon as folks start taking away power from the white power structure, um, that's when you have the forces of reaction start to pass these types of laws. Yeah, the Pasadena case, I, I had no idea. Is Do you have any more um, history on that that you know of, of, of how that... I posted... You can read a pretty good Texas um, Observer article. They're actually, the Justice Department actually came in and is now policing them. So they're one of the only jurisdictions in the country that's under um, just Justice Department, you know, overseeing them. Wow. So uh, it's, it's, you know, I don't know what the courts would say about Lubbock trying to do something like that out here, but certainly Section 2 is still alive and well. And um, that's probably, you know, why uh, it's not on the table hmm. that large. Uh, yeah, this is proposal. this is something. Um, and, and as you know, Adam, you, you got to hear more of my story this past Saturday. But I've, I've been telling people, you know, I was 39 years old last year. First year ever I registered to vote and first year I ever voted, of course. But. Um, up until that time, I was one of those folks because of my background and the people who I came up around and the time that I came up in that was saying voting doesn't matter. They're just going to do whatever they want, all of these type of things. And so I've kind of been facing my own karma in that way as I now go out and try to get people to register to vote and to care about these things and to get involved in these things. And so... Um, I'm glad that you came to show to share this information. And just a quick reminder, anybody, if you have questions, please put those in the comment section or in the Q&A on the Zoom. But yeah, um, a lot of good information here. Um, and so that also, we see that at the national level, they have HR1, which is uh, something that they're trying to pass through Congress, right? Do you can you talk a little bit about H.R. 1? Yeah, H.R. 1 is the, the bill that the Democratic House passed, um, I guess, uh, a, couple, a couple of times. Um, and what it would do is it would one of the things it would do is reinstate the Voting Rights Act, um, make it a lot easier for folks to vote. Uh, so I think that's a that's a good bill that would open up the franchise to a lot of people and would prohibit a lot of these practices that Georgia, Texas, other states are trying to put in place right now. Um, you know, I mean, if if the if voting 
didn't make a difference, you wouldn't see legislatures try to pass these repressive tactics um, because they're just scared to death of, you know, a lot of people coming together and taking over government. Uh, And I mean, that's, I think that creating all of these obstacles, uh, they want you to be cynical about it, because if you're cynical about it, you're not going to be involved in the process because, I mean, it's it's like, I'm going to wash my hands. I don't want any part of this because it's nasty business. I think that uh, a lot of times they'll deliberately just make politics look as nasty as they can. So people just want to walk away. Um, Yeah. And and so one of the things that I've noticed, uh, again, I like until the day before I went to that coffee with the mayor last year, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know his name, anything. So this is how checked out I was uh, when it comes to politics. Right. I mean, obviously I knew who the president and those kind of things are, but yeah, I mean, I was just checked out completely. Um, So now that I've checked in, I've and and had a chance to sit through a lot of these processes, going through city council meetings, going through committee meetings, et cetera, et cetera. I've noticed that it's really like a like a five hundred one c three organization, right? You have your bylaws, which in the city we have a city charter, right? So that's the framework, if you will, the system, if you will. Um, and so that's kind of already laid out, right? Like the formal processes of how you pass something and all these doors, all these sorts of things. And so it really comes down to who are the people sitting in these seats? Because those are the people who are going to vote. That's how the stuff gets passed. And like you said, um, I've, I've always kind of, well, not always, but since college, definitely I've, I've researched a lot about history, different movements, um, different things that have happened. I mean, going, I mean, as far back as you want to go, this is something that I've always been interested in. And so understanding that history, you, which again, I had, I wasn't paying attention to the political process history, but now that I've looked into it, since I've started all of this, you do see the pattern. You right. see the pattern of like, when these things aren't in place, stuff starts moving. Like you said, all the way back in 1865, you look at the thing, like the situation, um, in, uh, Wilmington. And I think it was 18, 65 around that time where you had uh this party it was like a mixed party of like you had white people you had black people you had all the different people that lived in this place that in essence over time actually formed the government and they were passing a lot of progressive things uh for that time and the white supremacists in that area got to uh such a place where they actually went and stormed the town and took over. Like that's the only successful coup that's happened here in the United States that took over a government and nothing ever happened about it. Yeah. You know, they, you know, so, but you see that that's a pretty extreme reaction to something that doesn't have any power. Right. Like, like you said, during the um, civil rights era, and, and a little bit before that, people were being killed, being murdered, being right. beaten for trying to vote. So, again, extreme reaction for something that has no power. So just really quick to sum that up, what I was trying to say for the people listening is, is that we have to understand that it is literally the people that are sitting there and the mind frame those people are in. And so we get caught up a lot of times in this Republican and Democrat. And honestly, I'm not either or I'm. You know, I don't uh, yeah. subscribe to any of those labels, but it's really it comes it comes down to me. Like, what is the mind frame of the person and what is the policy they're trying to put forth? Right. And so what we're seeing and, I, and I'll send it back to you, Adam, I, from what I've gathered now that I've been kind of watching things that have going on, especially the stuff in Georgia, seeing that unfold. And now we're trying to do that here in Texas and a bunch of other states. What I've noticed is is that it's kind of telling to me that, like you said, a lot of these things are targeted at the black and brown population. And so it's pretty telling because they've actually come out, some of these people have actually come out and said, if more black and brown people vote, they're going to all vote for Democrats. And so to me, it's like, they're really, it doesn't seem to me that they're really trying to win on policy. No. Right. It's just about keeping other people out. (laughs) And you, you saw like George Bush 
when he was governor, like doing concerted efforts to reach out to the Latino community. Um, and and uh, even even Rick Perry tried to do that to some extent. Um, but that's just like completely kind of gone out the window. Um, yeah, if we can't win on policy, we're going to win by taking away people's right to vote. It's just that simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that's why I say you have to really pay attention. I'm not telling anyone what to do, but if we want to be effective, if we want to really bring about change, like we have to pay attention to who these people are and try not to make it so black and white, like, oh, all politicians are just horrible. Right. Because there's there's different people. If you look through the Congress and this is relatively new, if you look at the the overall history, like a lot of people like Cory Bush being in Congress and, and all these kind of different people, they just literally just got in there. Um, Ilan Omar and AOC and these people have not been in there that long, but you're, you're going to see more and more folks getting voted into these places who are from a working class background and who are from more on that side of things versus the super rich, just disconnected person. Right. So you can't really take that stance anymore that they're all the same because they're definitely not. And Corey Bush is a, is an example I like to use because she was literally in the Ferguson riots getting beaten by cops and, and came from that to campaign her way, lost the first time to get into Congress, came back, tried again and got in there. And if you can go anywhere through Corey Bush's history and compare her to let's say Lindsey Graham or somebody or Ted Cruz, if you can compare her to one of these kind of people, I'd be surprised, but you really can't do it. So there are clearly different folks in here with different mind frames. We have to work on doing this in Texas, which is why we had this conversation with House Bill 6 and Senate Bill 7, because if we change, if we are able to change things, whatever the party is, if we're able to change things in a way that will actually address a lot of these problems that we've had in Texas that have not been being taken care of because the same party has been in power who has kept a lot of those things from happening. We're going to keep having this problem. Well, so yeah. it's going to be a long road, would you say, Adam? But it's it's definitely going to be necessary to change those seats out. Yeah, it's just I think it's just important to elect real people. I mean, there, there are plenty of folks in both parties who don't who are just out for themselves. Right. You know, and so you've really got to look at the person and, and think, are they representing me and my interest? Um, you know, are they treating people who might not have a constituency? A lot of times, are they treating poor people right? right. You know, it's just there, there are so many questions that you need to uh, ask yourself when you're looking at somebody who you're going to vote for. Yeah, definitely. So, Nick, did you have anything that you wanted to ask Adam before we get out of here? Uh, just to thank him, you know, Adam, Adam, it's always a pleasure. You know, I, I'm super excited to, to hear that you're moving back to, to Lubbock and, and being a part of the community. Uh, really looking forward to connecting with you here and uh, uh, seeing all the great work that you're going to do going forward and, and really appreciate you being on. And I just can't help but, but agree well, with you. And I, I, all the admiration is on this side of the table. And I just, you know, I love, I'm glad that I'm moving back to Lubbock because I get to work with folks like y'all and um, everybody else who I've met. I mean, I've learned a lot about what it means to be a citizen um, working in Lubbock and watching people like Billy Russell, Tina Betts, Natalie Ayers go up to, you know, they have real skin in the game. Y'all have real skin in the game. And I just kind of drop in from time to time. And then, it, but I don't have kids I need to look out for, you know, and to see people, sacrifice all this time because they care that much about their community man i don't know a better lesson about what it means to be an american i mean that's that's what it's all about awesome well thank you yeah i'm just gonna echo everything uh nick said um you know i have a lot of uh respect for everything that you've done and what you continue to do so we will get this uploaded asap 
And with that, I would like to remind everybody to go and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification bell. So that way you'll get notified when we upload these, if you miss them and, or if you just want to rewatch it or you want to show somebody, we're also going to be working on getting some shorter clips out there, maybe break it down by some segments. And so we'll have all of that coming. So please go subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Lubbock Compact. Go to lubbockcompact.com slash donate if you would like to help out with the work that we do and producing the show. Thank you, Mr. Pirtle. Thank you, Mr. Bergfeld. And good night, everybody. Good night.